Welcome to the Richardson Seventh-day Adventist Podcast. I'm so excited for you to join us. Each week, we'll bring you a sermon from one of our ongoing series. This week, we continue our journey through Game Changer. It's a term that you often hear associated with sports, but it really applies to everything or anything. So enjoy, and let's get to it. Built or not? What are you building the house of your life on? Last week we started a sermon series called Game Changers. The GOAT in your story. GOAT standing for greatest of all time. That's right. We're looking at a series of stories that Jesus told and, and, and how they connect with our story today. And I want to remind you of, of the definition of game changer. It's in your notes if you're following along. A person or idea that, has a, that causes a radical shift in the manner of thinking about or doing something. Jesus was a game changer in His day. But make no mistake, Jesus is still a game changer Today, he told stories that radically shifted the way people viewed religion and thought about things uh, 2,000 years ago. And in fact, the shockwaves of the shakeup of Jesus' stories that they caused down there 2,000 years ago are still echoing today here in 2019. Now, Jesus' story for today is about something we rarely see and therefore think about even less. His story that we're going to look at today is about something that's not glamorous, it's not exciting, it's actually kind of sometimes boring, but it's absolutely essential. His story is about something that literally determines the success or failure of your life and my life. You've all heard, I'm sure, about the Leaning Tower of Pisa, right? Probably all. Now, so construction, I don't, but I, I want to give you a little bit of background because I don't know if you realize that construction on this tower began about eight or 900 years ago in 1173. Now, it... it stopped and it started a couple of times over the next 200 years and it wasn't actually completed until 1372 um, and that's because as I said you know at that time Italy was really composed of city states and so they had they had a kind of a major city and then and then small villages and surrounding towns around it and and they were sort of like their own republics and they warred with other city states around and so on so this kind of interrupted things and and, and uh, so it didn't get finished now there was actually only about 20 to 25 years that were actually spent in the construction of the Leaning Tower of Pisa, but it took 200 years to get there. So they began in, in 1173 to build the tower. And immediately during the first phase of construction, the tower began to lean towards the north. Why was that? Well, it leaned because it was built 
on soft, sandy, marshy ground. And although the tower itself is 185 feet tall, the foundation is only 10 feet deep. 10 feet deep. And so it started leaning immediately uh, during the first phase of construction. Well, then, as I said, wars kind of put a stop to it for about 100 years. And then in 1275, the, the, they, they began construction once again, carried on. And the architects, they added three more levels to the tower this time. But because it was leaning north, they made the, the, the next levels lean to the south to try to correct the lean. However... That, along with the bell tower that was added finally and completed in 1372, it overcorrected the tower, and so it now leans to the south. It continued leaning a little bit every year, year after year, down through the centuries, until finally the Italian government had to close it down to tourism in 1990 for safety reasons. You see, the Leaning Tower of Pisa was not the only uh, tower that was built like this in Italy, and there were several other towers, and they'd all sort of had the same problem, and they had actually crumbled and fallen, and so uh, the Tower of Pisa was getting to a critical angle. It, uh, it was actually leaning past five and a half degrees. It was almost 20 feet out of plumb, and, and, and so they were afraid that, that it was going to fall and collapse on people, and so they closed it. It remained closed for the next 11 years while the Italian government spent $47 million to correct the lean enough so that it would not topple over and they could reopen it to tourists. Now, of course, they didn't correct the lean entirely because who would go visit the vertical tower of Pisa? I mean, you had to have a tourist attraction, so it's still the leaning tower, but it's uh, at least not leaning critically, and they support small structures. Deep foundations support magnificent ones. If you want an insignificant life, a shallow life, a shallow foundation is fine. It'll do just great. But if you want a significant one, a deep foundation is essential and so i want to ask this morning or actually probably afternoon by now sure enough i want to ask this afternoon what kind of a life do you want do you want a shallow one or a significant one because your life and its influence will be determined by for you and young people especially Please listen and look at this story and, and let its message get you because you have your life ahead of you and you can do this right. It's a game changer. Oh God, your word is so awesome and I'm so broken, so unworthy to share it. And yet, Lord, I pray that through this imperfect, fumbling clay vessel that today you can somehow make this story powerful in our lives so that it does change the game for us and so that we build solid and deep foundations that can survive the storms of life oh god 
open our eyes, heal our blindness, and help us see what Jesus is really trying to tell us today. This is my prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'd like to uh, invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 6 and verse 46 with me. Luke chapter 6 and verse 46 is where we're going to begin. Jesus starts His story here in Luke 6 with a mind-blowing question. He, he starts it with a game-changing question. Follow His words with me as we begin reading here in Luke 6, verse 46. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? You talk about putting it out there. You talk about cutting to the chase. You talk about exposing the elephant that's in the room. You talk about outing the thing that nobody wants to talk about. Jesus does it. He changes the game with this question. Why do you call me Lord, but don't do what I say? You know, one of the great crises in our society today is a crisis of integrity. Now, what's integrity? Integrity is that you actually are who you portray yourself to be to everybody else. Integrity is that you actually are what you say you are. Integrity is that you are not living a lie, that you're not a hypocrite, saying one thing and doing another. That's integrity. And the lack of that, it's this hypocrisy of saying one thing, calling Him Lord, but doing something else. It's this hypocrisy that's the curse of Christianity. It's, it's really sad that Jesus has to even ask this question. Because He's talking to His people, but He's saying, man, and He's shocked, He's amazed. He asked the question because it's true. And He's just amazed that His people could really behave like this to call Him Lord, but ignore what He says. He's shocked by it. Why do you call Me Lord, Jesus says, but don't do what I say? This is the sort of question that stops you cold in your tracks. It's the sort of question that changes the game. If you face it, and if you answer it honestly for your own life, every one of us here today needs to face this question squarely and answer it for ourselves, myself included. This is hitting me between the eyes right now, church. And, and, and I don't know why God told me I had to preach on it. It would be a lot easier to preach on something else. Why do you call me Lord and do not do? Byron, why do you call me Lord and do not do the things I say? The truth is, now, now, now this is where it's going to get to be a little kind of stepping on the toes here. The truth is, every one of us to some degree is playing a game with church and with God. We're not totally serious about it. We're not totally sold out to the Lord with it. We're playing a game. You know what I'm talking about way deep down in your heart of hearts, don't you, church? 
We've all gotten a little too relaxed and a little too casual about the Lord and about our walk with the Lord. We, we, we all have stuff in our life that we know shouldn't be there. But we're okay with it. We're all doing things that we know we shouldn't be doing We've got counsel in the Word of God. We've got counsel in the Spirit of prophecy. And we're all doing things that we know we shouldn't, but we're okay with it because we like it and we convince ourselves it's no big deal. Why do you call me Lord and don't do the things which I say? But this issue is killing the church. And it's killing our influence out there with unbelievers. Because they see the hypocrisy and they say, why would I ever be that? Now I'm going to make this real practical for a minute. But first I'm going to give a disclaimer. Because I know that there are exceptions to every rule. And, and, and I want you to hear that. In the next few minutes, I'm going to make a generalization, but I want you to understand that there are some exceptions to this generalization where what I say is not necessarily true. However, in the vast majority, unfortunately, in the vast majority of cases, it is true, and that's why I'm going to make the generalization, but I want you to understand there's a little disclaimer with it. Are you with me out there? All right. And I want you to receive this in love. Because that's my heart in, in saying what I say next. But I'm convinced that the fact that we call Him Lord, but do not do what He says, is one of the biggest, if not the biggest reason that our young people are leaving the church today. And why we're having such trouble keeping them in the church. Now let me explain that to you. When you are one way at church and another way at home, that's hypocrisy and nobody likes a hypocrite. And young people especially can smell out hypocrisy a hundred miles away. Our kids don't stay in church because they're watching us, particularly us parents, and they see us do one thing and say one thing at church, and then they see us do another thing and say another thing at home when we're away from church, and so they don't take it seriously. They hear about the Adventist lifestyle at church and they see people come to church who make it look like for a few hours they're living the Adventist lifestyle and then we go home and they watch us not live the Adventist lifestyle there and so they say, what's the deal? This isn't real. Why should I? And when they're old enough to leave your home, they also leave your church. Why? Because they see that we treat it like a game and they're not into games. At least those kinds of games. Video games, yeah, unfortunately. Unfortunately, they're into video games. But they're not into life games. They want something real. They want something serious. 
They want something that they look at and say, you know what, that's genuine. That really makes a difference. And when they see us playing games in church and they don't see it lived out here in church, they leave the church to go find something real somewhere else. Isn't that pathetic? Isn't that sad? You parents, and I'm one, so I'm talking to myself. We parents, if you want to keep your kids in church, you start living the Adventist lifestyle everywhere. You stop playing games. You stop cutting corners. You stop cheating on God. You get real, and your kids will get real too. Because they're going to do what they see you do. They're not going to do what you say. They're going to do what they see you do. And they're going to do what they see me do. And so I want to invite all of us, sit down prayerfully and make a list of all the idols and all the compromises that you've allowed to come into your life and into your home and give them to God and just see what He begins to do. So that's the game-changing question. Why do you call me Lord, but don't do the things that I say? In the next three verses, Jesus gives the game-changing answer. Now, do you want to hear that answer? Or have you already had enough of the sermon for today? <laughs> I'm kind of thinking maybe so. But I'll give you Jesus' answer, and then we'll go back and unpack how He gets us there in these verses and how they explain it. Here's Jesus' game-changing answer to the question... Why do you call me Lord and don't do what I say? His answer is simply this. Your foundation determines your future. Your foundation determines your future. And that is the entire sermon right there. If you don't remember anything else about today. That's the big idea I want us all to walk out of the, these doors with. Your foundation determines your future. This is the big idea Jesus wants us not to forget. And young people especially, you, because you have such a great opportunity, because your life is still ahead of you. You've got this book with a bunch of blank pages and you get to write the story still. You have the great opportunity ahead of you to do it right. Young people, especially you, the devil is trying really hard to mess that up for you and to get you to do it wrong. But young people, this is a game changer for you. If you'll hear the words of Jesus today, your foundation determines your future. But here's the scary thing. When was the last time you walked up to your friend's house or the church or any place you went and you said, wow, take a look at that foundation. Isn't that amazing? When, when was the last time you noticed or paid any attention? I'll bet you never did. I never do. I never think about the foundation when I walk, you know. And, and so here's the scary thing. We never think about the foundation and what it is that we're building our lives on, our characters on. We just react. We just do whatever feels good in the moment. We do what everybody else around us is doing so we can be in the in crowd and be popular, but we don't think about whether what we're doing and what they're doing is a good foundation or not. To unpack Jesus' answer about the foundation that we have for our life, 
I want to look at what not to do first. I want to try to get sort of the bad stuff, you know, the unhappy stuff out of the way, and then I want to get to the fun stuff, the good stuff afterwards. So first we're going to look at what not to do, and then we're going to come back and look at what to do. So Luke 6, verse 49, this is, you know, this is a story about the two guys. The two, the, we, we have a song. The wise man built his house, right? And I won't sing because I don't want I'll leave church early. Uh, we'll, we'll save that for another time. And, and the foolish man built his house, right? So Jesus, we're going to pick up at the end of the story because i got to start with the, you know, the foolish man, what not to do first. Verse 49. And, and, and again, in the story, Jesus is saying, you, you heard what I'm saying, but you didn't do it. And so he picks up here. But, but he who heard what Jesus said and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation. Against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Now, if you read the same story in Matthew, of course, you know that when it says, you know, he built, built the house, it says that the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and great was its fall. S same idea. A, a, a few other little twists to it here. In, in other words, when we look at verse 49, what not to do, in other words, get this, if you're following along in your sermon notes, the wrong foundation succumbs to the storm. The wrong foundation succumbs to the storm. Now here's what I want to tell us all today. Bad stuff will always happen. Storms will always come. And if you have the wrong foundation in your life, you are doomed to failure. It's only a matter of time. If we have the wrong foundation, we're going to crumble. We're going to get wiped out when the storm comes. Because it's not a question of, is the storm coming? It's only a question of when it's going to come. And so there are, there are four lessons that we learn here from this verse. The first lesson is, hearing and doing nothing is a very foolish choice. Now you've probably heard the saying, knowledge is what? Power. Knowledge is power. Guess what, church? That's a falsehood. That is not true. Because you know what? In Jesus' story, this man heard it. He knew it. He had lots of knowledge, but did it help him? Absolutely not. According to Jesus, if you follow this story through, knowledge that you do something with, knowledge that you act on, that is power. Okay? That's how the saying should go. Knowledge you act on is power. And this foolish person built their house, which represents your life and my life, our characters, who we are. According to Matthew, this person built the house upon the sand, and Luke tells us, without a foundation. Now understand this. Number two, a no foundation life takes no effort. <laughs> it's really easy to do. 
You just go along with the flow of everybody else around you and whatever they're doing or whatever feels good in the moment. You just go along with it. You don't have to swim against the current of society. You just float right along with it and do what everybody else is doing and it doesn't take any energy at all. It just kind of carries you along. A no foundation life takes no effort. Third, a no foundation life takes no time. Without a foundation, you can finish your house much quicker, right? You can finish it in a fraction of the time. I mean, if you build the house without a foundation, you can be living in your house enjoying it while your neighbor over here is still getting his foundation finished and trying to, trying to get going, you know. It's a long time off. I mean, if you build without a foundation, you can have instant gratification. And that's what our world is into today, isn't it? Instant gratification. You can have what you want, or at least what you think you want in that moment. You can have it right now. But it comes at a price. What's the price? You find out what the price is when the storm comes. That's the price. You find out what the price is going to be when things get tough and life begins to crumble around you. That's a no-foundation life that takes no time. Third of all, a no-foundation life ends in disaster you will not achieve the good life that you want for yourself you will not achieve the success for yourself if you haven't built a good foundation all you will end up with is heartache and pain and sadness and regrets and i wish i would have done it different i i wish i would have could have now let me try to make this plain for a few minutes because i'm especially concerned and again i I don't share this because I want to take something nice away from you. But I want to share this to try to wake us up to the game the devil is playing, and he's playing it for keeps. It's not actually a game. It's actually a war with him. But I, I want us to try to wake us up a little bit to the game that he's playing and, and so I'm going to try to apply this a little bit, this issue of the no foundation life. Today's entertainment culture is designed by the devil to cause you to build a no-foundation life. It's designed to program you into a no-foundation life. Now, I'm not against some good, wholesome, positive entertainment, relaxation, you know, change it up a little bit, you know, on a regular, but we need to live balanced life. They say all work and no play makes Jack or Jill a dull boy or girl, and that's true. I believe that. So, so some relaxation and rejuvenation and some, some good, I have nothing against that. Don't get me wrong there, okay? I want you to hear that. But in today's world where you cannot put down your phone for five minutes and you start to twitch and get nervous you know and, and in today's world where you have to have a charging cord in every room in your house in every vehicle you drive and, and a portable power pack in your purse in today's world where where you can't concentrate on schoolwork or you can't concentrate when you're at work because all you're thinking about is the next sound bite or the next YouTube clip or the next Facebook post and I got to chat 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 you know and where you only do something useful for as little time as you're forced to do it because you can't wait to sit down to veg out on the next movie this entertainment culture is wrecking you 
This entertainment culture is taking control of your mind. Teenagers. And when they let them finally have them, they limit them to 30 minutes, uh, an hour a day. And here we are, supposedly the people of God, and we think we're not doing our kids a favor if we don't give them a smartphone when they're five or six years, seven years old. Lord, help us out. And you parents, you don't, oh, don't want to be the bad guy or the bad woman. And so all the, everybody, well, all my friends at school have one. And so your kids put all this pressure on you. So you want to be, you want your kid to like you. And so you go give them a smartphone. And guess what? You just put the devil in their pocket. Do you know what the average age of exposure for young boys in today's world to pornography is? Eight years old. And Why? It's because they have a smartphone. Dear Christian parents, what are you thinking that you don't love your kids enough to look them in the eye and say no? There's a time coming when it will be appropriate for you to have it and you'll have it then. But right now, I, I know I know you don't like me and you're probably not going to want to come back to this church because you've got a pastor that preaches such things. But dear friends, I, this is program. And, and, and all the science and all the studies that you read about this stuff shows that it literally is reprogramming our brains and shutting down our frontal lobes so that we can't think and we can't understand spiritual things anymore. I know what I'm saying right now is so weird, it doesn't even make sense to you. You think I'm an off-the-rocker pastor, some extreme guy, but here's what I want to challenge you with. I want to appeal to you because I care about you so much. That's why I'm willing to talk about this. If you would step back from that stuff long enough to clear your mind, you would get it. You would get it. 21 days. I challenge you. Step off of Facebook for 21 days. Or whatever your thing is. I, I don't know. I'm not here to just... I mean, if you can control it and keep it down to a minimum and a little bit, whatever, in a balance, no problems. But that's not what I'm seeing. I'm seeing addictions. I, I'm seeing psycho psychological reviews that are talking about how the rise of depression and anxiety and suicide can be traced back to social media. Because it's not real. It's fake. But we're trying to keep up with all this fake, wonderful, beautiful, success, blah, blah, blah. And it's blah, blah, blah. And it's a lie, and the devil sucks you in and makes you feel like you got to keep up and you got to measure up and you can't. Oh, man, I'll tell you what. Jesus will set us free from it. This is a game changer. This is a game changer. And please, you dear parents, you know, I come to church, and I see these kids. Sabbath. They're not sitting in Sabbath school. they got a smartphone. They're sitting in the hallway playing video games. Where do you think that's taking your kid? Do you think that's putting them on the road to heaven? Do you think that's putting them on the road to hell? You just think about that one. 
I want to turn the tide of young people getting chewed up and spit out by the devil and leaving the church. I want to turn the tide because we're told that if we had such an army as our young people might furnish for the cause of God, the work would be finished and we'd go home. And that's why I love this Youth Rush team. This is a great example of what young people can be doing. Making a difference for the kingdom of God. Wow. Wow. Well, I better get back to the sermon. <laughs> I hope you'll forgive me for just speaking honestly, but man, I wrestle with these things. I do. But we can't let the devil steal the march on us, church. Now for the fun stuff, right? We got the foolish builder with no foundation behind us. If you want to be a game changer in life, if, if you want to accomplish significant things, here's how Jesus said to do it in these next couple of verses, 47 and 48. While the wrong foundation succumbs to the storm, the right foundation survives the storm. Life can bring on any bad thing it wants against you. The devil can throw the dishwasher and the wash machine and the kitchen sink on you and it bounces off and runs off like water off a duck's back because you have the right foundation. Let's look at verses 47 and 48. Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood, uh, when the flood arose and the stream beat vehemently against that house, it could not shake it. Don't you love that? I love that. It could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. Oh, hallelujah. Now, now, I'm going to get distracted here for a minute. What's the first word in verse 47? Anybody want to tell me what's the first word in 47? Whoever, everyone, whatever your version might say, whoever. That's exactly right. I want you to know something. God makes the playing field level for everyone. Jesus said, whoever comes to me. For Jesus to say that in that day and to those people, that was a huge game changer because for the Jews, had blessings no one else could have because they were the people of God. So they thought. And then even as a Jew, there were levels of privilege too. You know, if you were a Sadducee or a Pharisee, or if you were a tax collector. And Jesus changed the game. Jesus blew their minds. He said, whoever you are, the opportunity is the same whoever you are. It doesn't matter. Do you hear that out there, church? The opportunity is the same whoever you are. It's the same for every one of us here. There was one amen. Did, did you not learn anything from the sermon last week? It's okay to respond. Now, don't be fake. If, if you're just sitting out there dead and it doesn't touch your heart, don't, don't say anything. I don't want you to be fake. But if the Holy Spirit is moving on you, it's okay to let that out somehow. You know, it's okay. It's the opportunity is the same. Or maybe you don't believe that. 
But see, the Bible's telling us that whoever you are, there is an equal opportunity for you. You see, building a good foundation works whether you're young or old. It works whether you're smart or not so smart. Building a good foundation works whether you've already messed your life up or if you haven't done that yet. It works whether you're male or female. It works whether you're rich or poor. It works whether you're educated or uneducated. It works whether you're black, white, or any color in between. It works for everybody. Hallelujah. Wherever you are in your life, whoever you are, you can build the right foundation starting right now. No matter what your circumstances may be right now, you have an equal opportunity. So how do we build a strong foundation for our lives? First, you prepare the ground. In construction, before they ever begin the building, they get the ground ready for what's coming up next. Now, I don't know if you happen to remember, those of you that were around, when about three years ago, we broke ground to build the Family Life Center, the building next door. It was early in 2016, February, March, somewhere in there, and, and we broke ground. And you know what they did? They brought this big old excavator in here, and that excavator started digging around in, in, the, in the field that was over here on the other side of the church. And, and I thought, well, you know what? Maybe that excavator... Can dig the I can get it all ready. It should be two or three days. Well, a week went by, and guess what? The excavator was still there. And the excavator dug a big hole and had piles of dirt everywhere, and there's this big, huge hole. And then the excavator started filling it all back in. I'm like, what? But you see, they brought in some other dirt. And they were putting the other dirt and the original dirt and they were mixing it up and they filled the hole back in and then they dug the hole out all over again and piled it all up around and then they filled it in again. I mean, they did that. That excavator was out here digging away in that dirt for about three weeks preparing the ground. Now, how do you prepare the ground? How do you do that the way Jesus wants us to prepare? How do you build, prepare the soil of your life so you can build well on it? Well, that's all here in verse 47. Jesus said three things right here. First, it says, everyone, it says, whoever comes to me, right? So first, come to Jesus. That's the first step to prepare your soil. That's where it all starts. If you will come to Jesus and give him your life and surrender control to him and be in a relationship with Jesus, you are preparing your soil of your life for a good, good foundation. You're doing that if you put Jesus. you got to come to Jesus. Next, the Bible says, and who hears me? And so the next thing is, we got to listen to Jesus. Not just come to Jesus, but listen to Jesus. This is huge. You know, our world is so full of lots of other things you can listen to. Isn't that true, church? Oh, lots of other voices that are screaming at us for our attention that we can fill our minds with. And the devil makes them really loud really loud and sound really appealing but the only voice that will truly give you the right foundation is the still small voice of Jesus to your heart through his word and so I want to ask are you taking time every every day to listen to the voice of Jesus through his word dear friends are you taking time to be in the Word. Because that's where you hear the voice of God. You say, oh yeah, pastor, I am. Well, 
if you spend two or three minutes in the Bible and two or three hours on Facebook, which do you think has more influence in your life? Last, third thing, is simply obey Jesus. Do what He says. He said, everyone, whoever comes to Me and hears My sayings and does them, I'm going to compare him to a man that digs deep and builds this foundation, you see. Do what he says. When we come to Jesus and we listen to Jesus, if we don't take the last step and obey him, do what he tells us, we're still foolish. If we call him Lord but aren't doing what it says, what he says, then we're really just fooling ourselves and we haven't really made him Lord. So this is how we prepare the ground. We come to Jesus, we listen to Jesus, and we obey Jesus. Now, to carry on after you've prepared the ground to build the right foundation, second of all, you have to exert the necessary effort. You see, in verse 48, Jesus says that the person did what? The person dug, right? You see that? The person dug. Did you know that digging is hard work? It takes a lot of effort. I've dug a few holes in my time. You know, I grew up, um, my dad was in construction, remix concrete, and I grew up working for him. I, I was nine years old when I went to work for my dad in his business. And, you know, I had all these dreams of driving all the big heavy equipment, the excavators, you know, and the bulldozers and the front end loaders and the graders and the, and the remix concrete tucks. And, and that's what I really wanted to do. And, and I eventually got there. And I got my professional driver's license and all that, and I've got time on all those machines. So if you want to fire me after today's sermon, that's okay. I'll just go get a job in construction. I'm good to go. <laughs> but anyway, when I went to work for my dad, I walk up all, all excited the first day. Okay, dad, where's the loader? What are we going to do? He puts a shovel in my hand. And from there, I proceeded to get my PhD in shovels <laughs> and digging holes. It takes a lot of effort. But I got to tell you something, there's nowhere worse to dig than here in Dallas. Now, I'm in the process right now of digging some, some holes to transplant some trees at our house. We, we've got this beautiful paper shell pecan tree in our backyard. It grows beautiful pecans. And, and so the squirrels are always raiding it, you know. And so I have this little war with the squirrels going on. I won't tell you about that little story. But anyway... Um, and they're planting the, the, the pecan nuts all over the yard. And so these trees begin springing up. And we pulled out some ugly old bushes that were around our house. And when we pulled out the bad bushes, lo and behold, there were some pecan trees that were really nice that had been growing up hidden by them. And we thought, wow, we don't have enough trees in our yard. So let's take, and some of them are taller than I am, you know. And, and so we're like, okay, we're going to transplant these trees. And, and so... Um, we also found out a few years ago that, did you know that Ellen White talks about this special way to plant trees and bushes? And if you do it that way, they're going to grow way bigger and way faster and produce way more fruit or whatever it is. There's a special way to plant things. And so we want to do that method, and it requires digging a big hole. And so I'm in this process of digging this hole by hand that's about five feet across in this Dallas clay. And... And, and I'm going to go about three to four feet down, okay? So 
I start digging this hole, and let me tell you what. This clay is the worst stuff. I mean, first of all, it's just hard to get a shovel into it to start with at all, right? You can't get in very deep. And then when you try to get your shovel out, it's so sticky that it won't come, right? The shovel's stuck there, and you finally get your shovel out, and then you try to throw the clod of dirt, but it won't leave the shovel. Isn't that right? And it's stuck on the shovel. And so then you're banging the shovel. And finally, you get a, if it doesn't come off, then you're using your shoe to get it off. And then the clod's stuck on your shoe and it won't come off. And, and so you give up with the shovel and then you get a pickaxe. And I'm digging out there with the pickaxe and I'm swinging it into, into that clay and I'm trying to break the clay up. And the next thing, mm, And I yank it out, and I try to swing it, and the clod is still on, you know, the pickaxe. And then the pickaxe gets too heavy to swing because the, the clay sticks. To I'm on a break right now in the hole. <laughs> so if you want some exercise, you want to help your pastor out, come dig a hole with me, all right? <laughs> come dig a hole with me. Anyway, where was I? Oh, yes, that's right. So you have to exert the necessary effort. Digging, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard work here. But digging the foundation for your life is the same, young people. It takes a lot of energy and effort. You won't get that good foundation by taking the easy road and just coasting along in life and doing what all your friends around you are doing. You're going to have to make some different choices than them. You're going to have to make some tougher choices than them. That's digging. Now, third of all, you have to invest the necessary time. Because in the Bible, Jesus said the man dug what? He dug what? Deep. Bible says he dug deep. Going deep takes time. Okay? It takes time. It doesn't happen quickly. It happens over time. And, and, and for a long time, when you're digging and you're trying to go deep, it looks like you're not making any progress or, or very little progress at all. And, and it feels that way. I'll be honest. You know, that hole doesn't feel like I've made a lot of progress. To build the right foundation in your life, you have to invest time in the right things. And I can promise you this, you won't get it, you won't get the time invested in the right th things if you spend most of your time burning your mind out on all the media and the digital age that we're surrounded with, the video games or whatever it might be. You won't do it. You won't get that foundation. You won't get it if you waste hours and hours every day on this stuff. That stuff will build you the wrong foundation. Last of all, Prepare the ground, exert the necessary effort, invest the necessary time. Last of all, use the right material. All right? Jesus says the person laid it on the what? The rock. Who is the rock? It's not Dwayne Johnson, that's for sure. Who is the rock? That's right, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
The Bible says he is the chief cornerstone. He's the most important part of the foundation that everything else is built upon and hinges upon and rests upon and leans upon. Are you building your life today on Jesus Christ or are you just playing that game, sort of doing it halfway so you come to church but you're still really living out there in the world? If you and I use any other material for the foundation of our life other than Jesus, it's going to fail. But it's going to catch up with you and me sooner or later if that's what we're doing. It will. Sooner or later. You always have to pay the piper. The only foundation that will never fail is Jesus Christ. Because Matthew says that the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it did not fall. Luke says that they beat vehemently upon it. That's what the devil's after with us, you know. Vehemently. It's with hatred. It's with anger. It's with malice. It's with destructive intent. Vehemently. But it says that the storm came and it vehemently attacked that house. But because it had the right foundation, it could not even shake it couldn't even rattle it. Why? Because it was founded on the rock. Jesus Christ. Dear people, young and old, you have to use the right material. You have to build with Jesus Christ to have the right foundation. He really is the game changer to your foundation in your life. He really is the goat greatest of all time in your story and to make your future what you dream it to be. Now, I know we're running out of time here, but very quickly, some final observations. I, I don't want you to miss these. I'm going to try to go through them real quick. Number one, everyone has the same opportunities to build well, right? Both the wise man and the foolish man, they heard what Jesus said. And I remind you, he said, whoever, anybody can. Number two, everyone faces the same challenges to building well. Notice that the storm that came was exactly the same storm for the foolish man as it was for the wise man. It was no different. The circumstances were exactly the same for the, both the wise and the foolish builder. The rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew. The circumstances of life don't change whether you're wise or whether you're foolish. They don't change whether you have a good foundation or a bad foundation. We live in a sin-broken world that doesn't play favorites. And don't you sit up there and think, well, because I follow God, I'm I'm going to avoid the storm. Oh, no, that's not going to happen. And don't sit up there and think, well, because they're an unbeliever, they're, they're going to get the storms. No, it's an all-equal opportunity. It happens to all of us, believer or unbeliever. That's the sin-broken world. But here's the game-changer. The storm's going to come. But here's the game-changer. You determine how well you come through the bad stuff by the foundation you build. That's what changes it. The difference between the wise and the foolish man in the storm and the house that couldn't be shaken and the house that fell down in a great ruin was the foundation that had been laid. Your foundation determines your future. Say it with me. Your foundation determines your future. That's right. Number three, don't miss this. Because they don't see the foundation, people don't think about it. We probably rarely think about what we're building our lives on. We just go through life doing stuff. 
But we're not asking ourselves, is this stuff, is this good material for the foundation of my life that I really want? Good foundations don't happen by accident. Bad foundations happen that way all the time. But good foundations happen by being intentional. And so I want to encourage you, start thinking about it now, even if you don't see it. Number four, when the crisis comes, it's too late to fix the foundation. Don't procrastinate on this. It's too late when the storm hits. If you haven't built well, you're going to go down and nobody, you can even pray to God to stop it from happening and it ain't going to stop. It ain't going to, because there's no foundation and God is not going to work a miracle to put a foundation where you chose not to pull one. Because we're free moral agents. We have the power of choice and God respects that power of choice. And when we make good choices, we reap the great consequences of those choices. And God blesses that. And, and, and when we make bad choices, we reap those bad consequences. And, and the devil has a heyday because he's there working in those consequences. And I praise God that even then, God is merciful and he will temper them. He can't stop them, but he tempers them, right? So that it's not as bad as it could have been. And I've seen that in my own life. If you haven't built well, you're going to go down. But if you build well before the storm, when it comes, it's not going to affect you. It couldn't shake the house. And you're going to come through just great. And, and the person that didn't build well is going to look at you and say, oh, they, they're blessed. It's not fair. They've got an easy life. Oh, no, no, no. Their life wasn't easier. They just had a foundation for it. Number five, it's never too late to begin building the right foundation. It's never too late. Don't get discouraged if you've wasted a lot of time and you're not a young person anymore and you're an old person. Whether you're young or old, you can start building right today. It's not too late. You can start doing the sayings of Jesus today. Don't give up. It's not too late. You still have time and you still have a chance to build well before the storm comes. Now most of you know who Bill Gates is, right? And if you know who Bill Gates is, you probably know that he's one of the single richest, I mean he's married, but one of the richest men in the world. In fact, as of this past April, two, three months ago, his net worth surpassed $100 billion. Now, I haven't quite checked my numbers on this, but I believe that that might be greater than some small country's entire economies, possibly. $100 billion. And by the way, he's not even the richest one. You know, you know what Jeff Bezos' net worth is now? $170 billion. That's why these people are, are financing rockets to find the next planet in, in the universe so that we can colonize it. But they've got to do something with the money. And, and, so anyway, back in 1980, Bill Gates and his, and his best friend Paul Allen started Microsoft Corporation together with basically nothing. And you know the rest of the story. And you can see it then back here in the 80s when they started, and there they are just a couple years ago before Paul Allen passed away, actually passed away from cancer. Um, but, but here's the thing. Multitudes of people 
have become millionaires and billionaires because of Microsoft stock. And in telling you this story, I'm not suggesting that money is the measure of success. Absolutely not. That would be totally shallow and it would be unbiblical. Because you know what the measure of success is? It's character. Character is the measure of your success. Because i got to tell you something, dear friends. You ain't taking the money when you leave this planet. Your character is what you're taking. And your character is what's going to determine whether you leave or stay. So I'm not suggesting that money is the measure of success here. But, but there is a lesson that we learn in the story of Bill Gates. How did Bill Gates get where he is today and create what he created? I read something years ago that Bill Gates said that I've never forgotten. He said a lot of people had the same idea as he did about developing Windows and the operating system that became the operating system to put on all the PC computers, the millions of PC computers have been sold. He said a lot of people had the same idea as I did. So why did he succeed where they did not? Here's what he said, and I quote, The difference between me and everyone else is that when I got my idea, I took massive action. Those were his exact words. I took massive action. He did something with his idea. He took massive action. In other words, even though he's not a Christ follower, he did what Jesus said in the story. He not only heard, right? But he acted. He did something with what he heard. Jesus said, whoever hears my sayings and does them is building a strong foundation. Are you ready to let Jesus' story change your life today? Are you ready to let his story about these builders change the game in your life today? If you do, then I want to invite you to contemplate this question this week up there on the screen for you. What changes in my choices do I need to make to build a foundation for my life that will survive the storms of life? I invite you to do that. And church, young people, build well. Build strong and be everything that Jesus created you to be. Let him be the goat in your story and let him change the game for you. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you were blessed by this sermon. Next week, we'll continue our journey through Game Changers. So bring a friend, listen. Have a conversation, and remember, you're in our prayers.